you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone here in the flesh, and good morning, everyone in your homes, wherever you are. It is great to see all of you. Um, This Bible reading from Luke chapter 18 is a challenging one. It's one that really, um, it's got some difficult things to say. So I want um, to pray for myself as we come to that text now, and I want to pray for all of us that our hearts would be open and we would really hear God speak to us this morning. So let's pray together. Father God, we give you praise and thanks that we can come together physically or electronically. We thank you for those blessings. And we thank you, Almighty God, that you are not restrained by geography. You're not restrained by place. That you are a God who is over all and in all and works through all. And so we pray uh, this day that as we come to your word, it would be sharp. Like that two-edged sword, Lord, we, we open ourselves up before you because we love you and we want you to do the heart surgery that we need. So we ask that you would do this this day in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Well, in 2017, we did something which now seems completely alien. We planned a holiday as a family to Thailand. 
It was a very big deal for us. There's seven of us. There was a lot of things to organise. Um, we got the really cheap flights with um, the carry-on baggage only, so it was a lot of packing and repacking those bags. Uh, two weeks before we started weighing, and then we were re-weighing, making sure we were right to go. We planned the itinerary and the accommodation, and the day before, we were due to leave on Saturday morning, the day before, Friday afternoon, we were ready to go, which is at which point I decided that I would check the passports. And... Three of them, I'm ashamed to say this, but it's completely true, three of them had expired. At that point, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to tell uh, Dana and the kids that three of them, including mine, had expired. It was now Friday afternoon, the flights were Saturday morning, so I immediately got onto the passport office on the phone in Melbourne, and um, after I was on hold for a while, I finally got through, and I pleaded over the phone with the nice lady that answered, and she said, I'm so sorry, but you are not going to get the passports today, no matter what you do. Wednesday next week is the best that we will be able to achieve, if you're lucky. It's not a good moment. Uh, at this point, I, I said to Dana, we're We're done. We're going to have to cancel everything, get as many refunds as we can. And she said, why don't you go to Melbourne in person and plead? It's like, all right. I suppose in one sense, I've got nothing to lose. So we, 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 we uh, went straight into gear because there was a lot to do. We pulled the kids out of school, the ones that needed passports. We got them um, passport photos taken. Um, then we rushed. I rushed to Barb Pianto, who's the administrator of the church. And I got her to, um, to validate the passports. And then we rushed to the train. And on the way there, we're filling in forms. And, I, and then I ran from the train to the passport office. And finally, I arrived at the passport office on 4.30, at 4.30 in the afternoon on Friday. Uh, some of them were already taking the early knockoff. And as I went in there, I finally got through to the counter and I spoke to another woman and she said, why have you come? We could have told you that the earliest you could get these passports was on Wednesday. We had planned so much. We had spent so much. We had everything except the one thing that we really needed. And because of that one thing, we lost everything. Well, this encounter in Luke chapter 18, I think is perhaps one of the saddest stories in the whole Bible. It's the story of a, a ruler, a rich young ruler, and we meet him in verse 18 of chapter 18. And this guy is not only rich and powerful, but Matthew's account tell us, tells us that he's also young. He's a young, rich ruler, and he's a, a good bloke. Uh, he's a church attender, synagogue attender, probably one of the biggest givers in the synagogue, and it's clear at the beginning that he is deeply interested in spiritual things. He's deeply interested, in fact, in Jesus. How do we know this? Well, because he comes up to him, and in Mark's gospel, it tells us that, G that he kneels before Jesus. So he's showing Jesus respect, and he kneels before him, and in verse 18, he says these words, good teacher, it's a question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And that's a really, really good question that he asks, isn't he? He's, he's spiritually aware. He says, I I've got a good life now. 
but I want a good life for eternity, so how do I get it? How do I get that for all eternity? It's a great question. And Jesus' response to him seems unnecessarily sharp, doesn't it? Jesus says, don't call me good. Don't call me good, only God is good. Like many of us, this rich young ruler has a high opinion of his own goodness. He, he, he thinks in his heart, I'm a good person and I'm coming to meet another good person in Jesus. Two good people coming together. And Jesus sees his heart and he says, only God's good. And then he says, all right, you think you're good. Well, you know the Ten Commandments, obey them. And this rich young ruler says, yes, I, I know them and I've kept all of them since I was a kid. Had he really? Had he really kept all of the Ten Commandments since he was a kid? Had, had he really? Well, in one sense, obviously not. And he would have known that. None of us have kept God's perfect law completely. No one has done that. And this rich young ruler hadn't either. But remember, he's in a public setting. People knew him. They knew his life. And he says, yes, I've kept all of them since I was a kid. Had he, in a general sense, I'm sure he had. Because no one sticks their hands up and goes, oh, no, he hasn't. This was an exceptionally good young person. A really good man. And he looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, if, if that's what's required for eternal life, keeping these commandments, I'm in pretty good shape. And Jesus looks at him. And in Matthew's gospel, it says that Jesus loves him as he looks at him. And because he loves him, he does heart surgery with him by asking a very telling thing. He says, verse 22, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. You lack one thing, Jesus says. He's not saying to this good, rich, young man that you're nearly there, you've just got one more hoop to jump through and you're there. What he's saying is, is that you lack one thing. And because of the one thing you lack, you lack everything. Your bags are packed beautifully. You've got everything that you need but you don't have your passport and because of that, you're not getting on the plane. You lack one thing. And this good, rich young man is, is not a man of low intelligence. He understands exactly what it is that Jesus is telling him. And we're told, verse 23, and this is why I think this is one of the saddest encounters in the New Testament. It says, but when he heard these things, he became very sad for he had for he was extremely rich and he turns and he walks sadly away from Jesus now if you've ever been in the Middle East at all or and many probably same in Africa and other countries the the art form of negotiation is just that it's an art form 
You, you go through, it's a game you play. Um, for example, in, in the Middle East, you, you'll be bargaining over some trinket and um, you know, you, you, he starts at an impossibly high price and then you start at an impossibly low price and you, you, you're trying to meet somewhere in the middle. And usually it comes to the point where the, the shop owner goes like, get out of my shop, that's enough. That's my last, last offer, take it or leave it. And you leave it and you start walking down the street and then a few moments later, sure enough, you get the tap on the shoulder, all right, all right, you buy, you buy. You, you. And, and the deal is made. Now, I don't know whether this young man accept, expects that at some point Jesus is going to go, hey, wait, 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 come back here. Look, you know, let's, let's come up with a compromise solution. And when I read this account, that's what I want Jesus to do. I want him to give him a compromise solution. Come back, D- don't walk away from me. Let's come up with something that we both can agree to. Why does this young man have to give up everything to follow Jesus? Why does Jesus have to make it so hard? But Jesus is like granite. He watches this man walk away and there is no account in church history or tradition or in scriptures that he ever comes back. Seems unfair, doesn't it? It seems completely unfair. Now, it'd be different if it was true that if you had wealth, it made you unrighteous. And if you had poverty, that made you righteous. Now, sometimes throughout church history, uh, Christians have latched on to this encounter and said, well, that's what it is. If you want to be with God, you've got to have no money. And if you want to be um, away from God, well, then you have all the money in the world. You can't have one or the other. And that's a simple look, but the Bible never teaches that theologically. You can't take this encounter out of context. And you say, well, Andrew, how do I know? It's just, it's just because you, you don't want it to be the case. No, I do, because in the very next verses, in the very next chapter of Luke, we meet a man called Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was also very wealthy. And if you read ahead in Luke's gospel, you'll see that when when Zacchaeus encounters Jesus, Jesus never asks him to leave all of his money to follow him. In fact, I think Zacchaeus ends up giving 50%. But long before then is, Jesus has gone, this is the son of Israel. He's saved. No hard commandment to Zacchaeus. So why is Jesus so unyielding to this rich young ruler? Why? Because he sees his heart. He sees the heart behind the question he asked in the beginning. And he says to him, you're putting money before me. You're putting money before the one thing that you really need. And because you haven't got the one thing that you really need, you have nothing. You lose everything. So I said that this passage was a hard passage to deal with. And my question to ask today is, well, what might it be for you? Is, is there something that if, you, if Jesus said to you, you have me or you have this thing, you would go, I don't know if I could choose. Is there something in your heart that says to you, you must have me because if you don't have me, you've got nothing. And Jesus says the same thing to you. Is it, what would it be for you? It might not be money, by the way. But for most of us, and especially in countries like Australia, money usually is part of the things that hold onto our heart instead of Jesus. Money offers you so many different things, doesn't it? Just think about it for a moment. So if comfort is your 
thing that you're living for that you can't let go of, money buys you everything you need comfort-wise. It buys you the beautiful, nice house and the, the lovely renovation. If it's power and career advancement that you're living for, well, money buys you the universities that you need or the schools that you need to go to. If it's fitness, sport, or experience, money buys you the personal trainer. It buys you the golf membership. It buys you the airline tickets. It buys you that big new four-wheel drive. If you love things, money gives you the retail therapy that you need. If you love your children and they're the things that you could never let go, money gives you the the opportunity to provide them experiences that you think they need. If it's security that you long for, well, money gives you the superannuation, doesn't it, and the medical cover. Very few of us, I think, would say, if we were asked honestly, is there anything that keeps us from following Jesus, very few of us would say that it's money because we know that it doesn't logically stack up. But like this rich young ruler long ago, words are cheap. It's easy for you and I to say anything, really. But the functional reality of the way we live our lives may be very different. Money is a powerful drug. And that rich young man, so good, so moral, when he looks at Jesus, Jesus diagnosed that he's an addict and he doesn't even know it. So he asks him, he tells him, leave everything that you have, come follow me. Jesus says to that rich young man what each, he says to each one of us today, isn't he? The same thing. He says to us, you must replace your attachment to things like money with an attachment to me. John Piper, the preacher and theologian, uh, talks about this in an illustration. He says it's as if this rich young ruler comes with his hands full of money. And Jesus says to him, you lack one thing. You lack me. I am the one thing that you lack that you need. So let go of your money so you can take my hands. You can't take my hands while you're holding on to your money, while your hands are full. The one thing that this rich young man needs is not what falls out of his hands, the money. It's what he can take into his hands, the Lord Jesus. Stop treasuring money, Jesus says to him. Start treasuring me. Let go of your money, take me. You want eternal life? You want to be justified? You want to live in the eternal kingdom in the blessed state for all of eternity? Let go of the money. Open your hands and take mine. Be connected to me, Jesus says. Depend on me for everything. And we see that rich young ruler, don't we? And we go, you idiot. Jesus is standing there before you. How can you let him go? Let go, open your hands. And and we see and we go, oh, you have made the worst mistake of your life. And yet, functionally, how easy is it for each of us to do exactly the same thing, isn't it? So So let me ask again, what is it that you're living for, really? What is the thing that if Jesus Christ said to you, let it go and take me, you would go, I don't know if I can do it. Well, I want to look at four applications 
but maybe help that heart surgery with each of us, where we're at. These four things are, or four points are, money can't satisfy you. Money can't save you. Money will jeopardize your eternity and the decision that we each must make. So first, money can't satisfy you. Money can't satisfy you, and we all know this. You don't have to be a Christian to know this. Our society will tell you this if you ask it. Um, for example, let me quote from a BBC article some time ago, uh, which, which examined those who won the lottery in the UK, their life before and after. And the, money, uh, the, uh, the article is entitled, Why Money Will Not Buy You Happiness. And this is what the article says. Winning the lottery isn't a ticket to true happiness, however enticing it might be to imagine never working again and being able to afford anything that you want. One study famously found that people who had big wins on the lottery ended up no happier than those who had bought tickets but didn't win. It seems that as long as you can afford the basic miseries, avoid the basic miseries of life, having loads of spare cash doesn't make you very much happier than having very little. Isn't that interesting? The people that won the lottery were no more happy than the people that didn't and bought a ticker in the same lottery. Uh, we all know that money can make us happy for a moment, don't we? There are many illustrations I'm sure we can all think of. Um, I can think of when we were newly married and we had no assets and lots of debt. Um, we, my tax return came, it used to come in the mail and in those days, and it came in the mail, and I opened it up, and I saw a check. And I was expecting a check for about six or $700, and I got a check for $11,000. I was like, yes! It was just like my mini lottery win. I said, Dana, we're going out to dinner to the, to the local Chinese takeaway. No, we went a bit better than that. Um, but I took her out to dinner, and I remember thinking, like, my 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 debt is gone, my worries are finished forever, I'll never worry about money again. And I did it, well, for a couple of days anyway. And then, of course, the reality happens is there's new expenses, there's new things to do, the money, the windfall that came got absorbed and was quickly forgotten. And that's not just me, that's all of us, isn't it? Uh, whether we get a new phone or a new car or some new shoes or new anything, it's really exciting for a little while and then it fades and we quickly forget it and we need something else. Uh, psychologists call this reality, let me get this right, the hedomic treadmill. Hedomic treadmill. And put simply, it means that no matter the amount of money you earn or the things that you buy, they will never satisfy you. You'll quickly adjust back to the way you were before. The hedonic treadmill. Money does not satisfy you. Secondly, money can't save you. This story is such a tragedy because when you strip away all the realities, this rich young man really believed that the money that he had was more important than Jesus, that the money would save him, so he went away very sad. He knew that his life was more than the money that he had, but he still couldn't let it go. Steve Jobs, uh, obviously the, the founder of Apple, 
he died quite a few years ago now. And as far as I know, Steve Jobs wasn't a Christian. But he was a very perceptive individual. And this is what he said not long before he died. He said, almost everything just falls away in the face of death leaving only what is truly important. Remembering that you are going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking that you have something to lose. We think, wow, Steve Jobs saw so clearly the reality of his death. But what we so easily forget is we, we think it's Steve Jobs, but it's never going to be us. Steve Jobs saw it, but... But that's, that's him. You know, we're, we're not really facing the same reality. And, and we easily, so easily forget the reality that in just a click of the fingers, it won't be Steve Jobs facing that reality inescapably. It'll be us. He faced it and he's now been dead for some years. In just a moment, you and I will face it and encounter it. We're already naked in the face of death. Money, your money can't save you. You came naked from the grave, naked from the womb, and you'll go naked to the grave. You'll, you'll take nothing with you. It's all going to go away. You've got nothing to lose. But the tragedy is, is that so many of us in our world, with so many things, we are constantly chasing things. Many of them around money, but sometimes other things like relationships. We're, we're chasing them, and we're on this treadmill, and we're so busy that we, we don't confront the reality that these things like money that we're chasing cannot save us. They, they blind us, they dull us, they're, they're like a drug. It's like what alcohol does to someone with the emptiness in heart or, or drugs or other things. They, they dull us to the reality of the pain deep inside and the, the bleak, vast emptiness that is approaching so rapidly when it will be our last breath, not Steve Jobs. I'm not scaring you in any way. It's just pure and simple truth. Each of us will die. Each of us will face that reality. And when we do, money cannot save you. And thirdly, money will jeopardize your eternity. Money will jeopardize your eternity. Jesus says in verse 24, after that rich young man walks away, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. His point here is is not only that money will not save you, but it will actually make it much harder for you to be saved. That's the point of this absurd analogy of an enormous camel going through the tiny little eye of a needle. Jesus says it's impossible. Money will shrink the opening into eternity to an impossibly small opening. Well, in lucky, there are very few of us are rich, right? Lucky that this applies to Steve Jobs and other people, but not to us. I've said this before. And I have to say to myself over and over again that we're rich. We're rich. Most of us listening to this are rich, very rich. Well, you say, I'm not rich. I'm just struggling to get by. I'm I'm paying the bills. I've got a mortgage. I've, I've got more expenses. I've got credit card debt. I don't deny that, but you're rich. 
According to the statistics, if you have a regular job or regular income and more than $500 in the bank, you are classified as in the top 10% of the richest seven of the top 10% of richest people among the 7 billion people on planet earth. You're in the top 10% and many of us are far richer than that. Well, if you doubt that you're rich, well then think about what it might be to be poor. According to the United Nations World Food Programme, this is what it is to be poor. 1.2 billion people survive on less than one US dollar per day. 852 million people, 852 million will go to bed tonight with empty stomachs. 852 million. Nine million of those will starve to death in the next two months. We're rich. And Jesus warns that that very that those very riches will make it very hard to enter the kingdom of God. Isn't that true of Australia as a country that we live in, the lucky country? So much material wealth, so much hardness of heart spiritually. The gospel tells us, Jesus would tell us that you and I are in desperate need of saving. Money tells us that you've got everything that you need. Money makes you feel big. Jesus says the door to the kingdom of heaven is very small and only those who will stoop to crawl will enter it. Having money and wanting money not only makes it difficult to be saved, but if you are saved, if you are walking with Jesus, and most of us are right at this point, well then money continues to be a dangerous thing. It continues to jeopardize your eternal salvation now. The Apostle Paul is is writing in the first letter to Timothy. He's writing to him about about some of the realities Timothy needs to grasp as a new minister in Ephesus. And he writes this, he said, He who wants to get rich falls into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Money can jeopardize your eternity. And if you're a Christian right now, that reality is a danger and a temptation that presents each, each to each of us if we feel that we want to get rich. I've used this illustration at least three times before, but it's, it's, I can't think of any better ones for me personally. Money is like a grenade, right? So in the army, oh, actually, when you're watching a war movie and you see someone throw a grenade, they just go, Tick, and they go, and it goes, boom. And then they, in reality, when you throw a grenade, it's very different. You throw the grenade and there's this almighty roar and your ears ring. And, and it feels like the oxygen is sucked out of your lungs and, and, you, and you're shaking. That's what you, you throw. And when you go to a grenade range and you're in this little hut and the people in front of you, they take the grenades and you hear the roar and all the dust comes from the roof of the bunker that you're in. And, and by the time it's your turn, you're like, whoa. And, and they give you the grenades and you put them in your, in your pouches and then you go out and you've just heard what's happened. Your ears are still ringing. And then they say, all right, take out the grenade. They say, pull the pin. And you're like, I get rid of this thing. And then they say, no, no, no. Now clutch it close to your heart and count to 60. 
and you hold that grenade next to your heart, you've just seen what it does. You know that if it goes off, it will blow your chest and your body into a bloody pulp. And you hold this thing knowing it's horrible power. And the reason they do it is they say, hold it to your heart because it's completely inert until you throw it and the handle comes off it. Then it becomes life. So they're trying to teach you, they're having a bit of fun in the process, trying to teach you, hold it there. You could hold it there for the next five hours and nothing would happen. But money in many ways is like a grenade. It's far more dangerous than a, than a grenade. A grenade can just blow your body to bits. Money can destroy eternity for you. So you hold your money like you would a grenade. You hold it close to your heart, close to your chest, then you remember the danger that it is. Well, we should hold money just like that because money is not evil. Uh, Jesus says it's the love of money which is the root of all evil, but money is dangerous. It can, it can easily plunge us into ruin and destruction. So you hold it like you'd hold it, a grenade to your chest when the pin's out. How do you, how do you deal with that, though? How do you, when it's money, how can, you, how can you not let money control you? Well, the answer is you put the pin back in the grenade. Well, how do you do that with money? How do you put the pin back in the, the money grenade? It's actually very easy. Easy in concept, harder to do in reality. Put the pin back. Put the pin back in the grenade by giving. Every time that you and I give our money, you put the grenade back, you put the pin back in the grenade. You, you, you make money temporarily inert. You give, and by doing that, much more than anything you say, you can say that you are generous as much as you like. You can say that you hold money lightly as much as you like. The rich man would have said exactly the same thing. But when you give, you functionally show where your salvation is. Every time you or I give, we put the, the pin back in the grenade. We, we make money temporarily inert. We are saying to ourselves and to God, in our deepest hearts is, I treasure you more than I treasure money. I'm opening my hands. I'm letting the money fall. And for some of us, we think, yeah, that's hard to do. And it, absolutely, it is hard to do. And others think, well, but, but where do I give? I, I don't want to give like thoughtlessly. Oh, I, I could make things worse by giving in the wrong way. And that is true, but more fundamentally and more important is not where you give or how you give, it's giving. Because it's really more about your heart than it is what the money is doing. That's what Jesus is saying to that rich young man. Give it all away. Give it to the poor. That's one good thing to do. Then come follow me and you will have treasures in heaven. So Give. Where and how you give are secondary questions. Uh, the Bible is very clear about this in multiple areas, that we need to share our resources with those who haven't got enough. We need to be compassionate and caring for the poor. We need to give, the, give to those 852 million who are going to go to bed, for example, with hungry stomachs tonight. Nine of the million are going to die. We should give globally. We should give to all those in need. But we should also give, and if you're a Christian, this is a commandment in Scripture, to the community, the faith community of which you are a part. So if you're a part of this church, if this church is where you call home, you should, you must give generously to this church according to your means. 
It's a command of Scripture and it's clear obedience to Christ. Now, there are some exceptions that is true. There's always some exceptions of people who are not able to give and who should not give. But for most of us, if we don't give or we give stingily, it's like looking at a mirror into our heart. If we don't give or we hold back, it's absolutely certain that something is not right with your soul. And it's possible to say whatever you might say and give justifications or rationale for however you might do it, but ultimately it's as if you would look in the mirror and when you look in the mirror, you see the tear-filled eyes of the rich young ruler looking back at you. You might have everything, but if you cannot release what God has entrusted into your care in terms of material possessions and finances, all is not well with your soul. Money can jeopardize your eternity. Lastly, the decision that each of us has to make. Well, in 2017, I went back after speaking to the woman at the window and I sat down on the plastic chairs and I just gathered myself before I called Dana and the kids and told them that it was all done. But as I got up to get the train back home to Geelong, uh, the woman in the window uh, beckoned, she actually came out from behind the glass and she said, look, I can't promise a thing, but wait a little bit longer. And so I waited. At five o'clock, I was the only person left uh, when the security guards locked the front door of the passport office. At 5.30, she beckoned me forward to the window. And she said, look, I do not know why I'm doing this. But I've spoken to the printing guy and we have both decided that we will stay back late tonight and we will print these passports for you. You'll catch that flight tomorrow morning. <laughs> I, was, I was totally overjoyed, um, not least because I wouldn't have to face Dana when I got home. But I was humbled I was touched by her generosity, her kindness of spirit. She didn't know me. I, she didn't owe me anything. She just did it because she saw my distress and my need. And her heart moved her to act in compassion and kindness. I lacked the one thing that I needed. And she gave me the one thing in her kindness, which meant, in that context, everything. So the decision we have to make, what about you? I, I pray that this topic of money has, has done heart surgery with you. That's why it's in the Bible. That's why this is recorded in, in all of the Gospels, because, because God wants you to have heart surgery. He loves you. And the question is, will you take the free gift that is offered to you? Will you take Jesus Christ? And most of us say, yes, maybe I've already taken him. I'm a Christian. My question is, again, I'll ask it again, will you take the free gift that is given to you? Because if you do, if you will receive into your hands the free gift of eternal life, you need to let go of everything that's in them. Everything that you hold on to. It's not a question of what if Jesus Christ says this to me like he did to the rich young ruler long ago. He says it to you. 
And he says it to me. And it should shake you, yeah? What are you really holding on to? When you face death and you stand before the presence of God Almighty, what are you holding on to? Is it your money? Is it your relationships? Is it other things? Or is it really Christ that you're treasuring? Say what you like now. There will come a time when there'll be no deceit. This passage is there because Jesus looks at you and me like he looks at that rich young ruler and he loves us. And so he asks us this question. And you don't have to walk away sad. You don't have to be like this rich young ruler. This is presented for you in the Gospels that you might take into your hands the one thing that you really need. It's a a warning and it may seem impossible to you at this moment to let go of that thing, whatever it is. But Jesus says what's, what's impossible for man is possible with God. And I used to think that the question Peter asked in verse 28, or the statement, was the wrong one. Peter says, after watching this, he goes, See? We've left our homes and followed you. Sort of sounds like he's kind of going like, well, we're better than he is. But Jesus doesn't seem to see it that way, does he? Jesus acknowledges the truth of what Peter has said. And then he says, verse 29, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. See what Jesus is saying? So you, you think you're giving up everything to, to get the one thing that you need, but when you get the one thing that you need, you gain everything, now and for all eternity. This is one heck of a good deal. Will you make that choice? Will you respond to that invitation of Jesus? Imagine in the passport office as she passed those shiny, fresh new passports underneath to me that I went, oh, thank you very much. I'm just going to leave them now. And I'm going to go home. And we're going to come again to Melbourne tomorrow. And we're going to get on the plane anyway. Don't need these passports. What a fool. After all the grace and kindness she's shown to me to leave the passport sitting on the desk. The one thing that I really need without which I'll lose everything. In regards to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's exactly the same. He has given his all that you might have the one thing that you lack. He has given his all that you might have the one thing that you really need, letting go of the things that you don't so that you might now and for all eternity have him. How could you not respond to grace? And you say, well, how did he do that? He went to the cross. In the next verses of Luke's gospel, Jesus tells them, he's gonna go and be rejected. He's gonna go to the cross He's going to bleed and he's going to die so that he would win for you a ticket into eternity and life now following him. This story, this is an account of, in Luke's gospel, is an account of contrast, isn't it? The rich young ruler who thought he had everything but lacked the one thing that meant he had nothing. And these disciples who left everything And it seemed as if they had nothing and yet won everything. It can only be one or the other. As the musicians come up, I'm going to pray for us and then 
I'm going to pray that God, as he's done this heart surgery, would truly soften our hearts that we might respond genuinely, deeply to his word today. Let's pray. Father, we are so, so vulnerable to the dangers of this world in which we live. Lord, we know that time after time we are presented with have this or do this and you will have happiness. Achieve this and you'll be happy. And Lord, we know that it can't. We, we know that our faith in God is much bigger. And yet, Lord, we pray that this morning you would use your word and this encounter that you had, Lord Jesus, long ago to stir us up to help us to be different, to put our trust in you, to lose everything that we might gain the one thing that we can never lose. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, that in your mercy, you would stir us up, not just in this moment, but throughout this week. And that the way we live would demonstrate that we have the one thing we really need, Jesus, our Saviour, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.